Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey folks, this is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Super stoked to have you here. I can't wait to talk to my friend, Dr. Laura Pence. Uh, before I introduce her more, please rate this podcast. I think there's about a trillion podcasts out there. Even Laura has a new one. So rate hers too. But if you rate our, our podcast, and I always say start at the right side. So you just click the fifth star, and I think it clicks all five stars. Just start there. And it helps other people find, other people like you find us. Because like, you know, it's a busy podcast world out there. And these ratings really help. So I really appreciate that. Dr. Laura Pence, um, good friend of mine. I, and I've, gosh, I've really come to really enjoy her relationship, gotten to see her over the years. She's the mind doctor, the chief mind doctor. What a cool title for Spartan, which, you know, gosh, both the company and all Spartan athletes need a lot of mind doctoring over the past year. <laughs> They've been completely shut out of their sport. Ah, clinical psychologist, uh, been working for the last 15 years and more working with elite athletes and professionals and people from all works of life to really chicken things that aren't serving them anymore. Patterns that are holding them back, getting rid of those things, helping them see it, uh, build new behaviors, new uh, mental pathways, and to become more curious. And I love that. So the focus of our conversation today is really going to be about curiosity. And what does that mean? She's got a podcast called Curious Minds. Uh, I was recently a guest. Thank you very much. We had a riveting conversation. <laughs> really fascinating. So Dr. Laura Pence, and also she's going to be speaking at our Unbeatable Mind event coming up the third week in March. And we're having a virtual event. So if you're interested in that, go check it out at unbeatablemind.com and be one of the folks who joins us and, and learns all about resilience. Laura, nice to see you. Thanks for joining me today. Mark, it's so good to be here. I really do feel lucky and excited when you and I get to talk, not only because I think you and I have similar ideas and ways of thinking, so it's kind of always nice to be validated, right? But there's sure. also, um, I think, a really nice extension between the two of us where we we take what we already know and work to to elevate that understanding even more mm -hmm. and go deeper. And so I appreciate that. It's always really special to me when I can find those people who not only want to do that, but are willing to do that in like real time, you know, right, like in, in front of the I totally microphone. agree with you. Like we are, it's a growth opportunity to get to talk yeah. to you and, and not, you know, some of my other podcast guests as well, because, you know, I'm a little bit of an open book and, you know, I'm, I like to be challenged and I've had ideas around things, but then, you know, I'm wrong at least 50% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> exactly. I get to explore where I'm wrong and maybe learn and come out of these sessions a little bit stronger, a little bit um, more evolved. And that's what I'm hoping to bring to the listeners, right? Every, every mm -hmm. episode should be, you should listen to it and come out of it a different person mm -hmm. with some mm -hmm. greater awareness and insight 
about yourself or about the world, right? What I love about our relationship is you're a PhD clinical psychologist and I'm a Navy SEAL, you know, pre- you know, I hate to use Tony Robbins term, but practical psychologist, meaning totally. Yeah. Which sounds like proctologist. So we won't use that term, <laughs> but I mean, I'm a self-taught dude when it comes to emotional development, but at the same time, I've learned a shit ton through years and years of therapy and deep dives and seeing the similarities, right. Between, you know, like how we were taught to think as Navy SEALs for positive psychology and how yeah. I learned to think as a yogi in martial arts for kind of like spiritual and emotional psychology and, and then all the emotional work being married to a therapist and mm-hmm. doing tons of EMDR and gestalt therapy and visualization and, you know, and how all of those really are just different pathways to understanding, you know, who we are and our role in the world and how to behave, you know, how to yeah. show up. Yeah, absolutely. I love that too, because, you know, it's, for me, it was, academic, didactic, educational learning first, and then experience later, right? Because, you know, you spend five years in a classroom learning about all these concepts, learning about all these ideas, and then you actually go do the work and you're like, whoa, this is different. (laughs) Well, that reminds me when I was in my doctorate for leadership and I'm leading, I'm learning all of these theories of leadership but they seemed to me a little divorced from reality and the teachers really had no leadership experience. Yes. And then I went to Iraq, like uh, my, my, my mobilization to Iraq in 2004 interrupted my doctorate. Mm-hmm. And while I was at war and watching like real leaders lead, you know, I had that epiphany that like, I'm never going to get what I'm looking for personally in that doctorate program. That's right. And I want to go teach leadership at a very visceral level. And that's when I I quit the PhD program. The only thing I've ever quit in my life. I still feel guilty about that, oddly. So maybe I need some therapy. You can help me with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because I was actually just thinking about this the other day when I was on one of my runs and, you know, on my, on my runs are inevitably where I kind of like go into some of my deepest thought. And I was thinking about when I had to defend my dissertation And you have a whole committee, right, that you're defending your dissertation to. And you select that committee. I mean, you you go to them and you propose for them to be on your committee. You can stack the deck in your favor, I hope. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You definitely pick people you like (laughs) and like you. Um, But there were two gentlemen. Actually, they were all men on my committee, which is interesting in a field that's predominantly women. But one of them was in practice. He was the medical director of a treatment center. And the mm-hmm. other one was a faculty member. Mm-hmm. And I remember that at one point they kind of got into it during mm-hmm. my defense of my dissertation, where the faculty member was sort of saying like, well, this is the modality you would use with this particular population. And the director of the facility was like, right, in an <laughs> ideal world, <laughs> but right. we don't live there. And I was just thinking about the other day that like, it's so true that, you know, we really, we really have to have that art science blend of understanding, you know, the, the tenants and the components and the data and the science, but then also to be able to really understand how that actually works in practicality and what that's actually like when you're with a a person, another right. it's like human the being. Difference between psychology and psychotherapy and and therapy, like family yes, therapy, they're exactly. very different. Exactly. Psychologist is going to you know be able to prescribe you an antidepressant. A therapist is going to 
work with you on your emotional issues. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I got that mm-hmm. right. Now you use the term active therapy or active therapist. And I like that because what I'm imagining is that you recognize, because what I, let me, let me back up a little bit. When I teach people in my program on Bill Mind, I say, listen, you can't divorce the body and the mind and the emotions and the spirit. You ultimately are all one thing. Mm-hmm. But because we're so compartmentalized in our Western world, we kind of look at them differently. We learn about them differently. And then we kind of separate ourselves into these different categories. And then yep. we go forward as a separated self. And we wonder why we don't feel whole. So for me, active therapy is like, bring the whole back together. You can't, you got to get active. Like, I love the idea that you're working with athletes because athletes understand their body and they need, they've got the beginnings of mental toughness, but usually it's the emotional piece. And then you understand, Hey, let's work with your emotions through your body, you know, and through the mind. Let's, let's do it all together. Am I on track with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I use the term active therapist, there's actually, you know, I kind of think about it in different ways, right? It's a little bit of a play on the word itself. Like I'm very active in session with the mm-hmm. people that I work with. You know, I am, you I am you're doing, not you're doing burpees while you're there. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Not quite. Okay. Um, but that's I'm, advanced. That's advanced right, therapy. <laughs> right. That's that's the advanced track here. I'm active in the sense that you know typically what we what we imagine therapists to be, or we often get from TV or movie, where it's sort of the therapist lounging back in the chair every once in a while, kind of saying, "Yeah, tell me how that feels." And that's just mm-hmm. not me. I mean, probably you would guess that anyway from the energy that I bring to any situation. No. I can't. Temper I don't think that, that type of therapy is very effective, personally. Right. I Traditional would talk therapy, just people tend to just run the same loops over and over and over. And if there's no intervention, then these people get stuck and they actually grease the groove of the patterns, in my opinion. That's, I could be wrong. But. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I think very early on in my career, when I went into private practice, you know, I got all the things, right? Like I had all the ni- the nice office with the great couch and like the this. And I played therapist. Like mm-hmm. I, I really showed up in a way that was attempting to be a character rather than being really who I was. And I quickly learned, very quickly, that did not work for me. Not only was I not happy like doing that, but it didn't work for my clients either. There wasn't, it didn't feel like there was this real connection. So I made Audible's rule real quick and and Mm -hmm. shifted the way that I did things. And to be an active therapist to me means to really show up in the room. And listen, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to ask my clients to get uncomfortable and to do the work, I'm going to do the work with them in that room with them. So when I ask them, for example, to get curious, I'm getting curious right alongside them. Mm -hmm. When I'm asking them to get uncomfortable, I too am getting uncomfortable by asking them questions that maybe moves me out of my comfort zone. And then, yes, there's this other piece, which is integration, which is me knowing the importance of mind-body being integrated and asking regularly and attempting to to really shine a spotlight on the importance of movement and being active and understanding Mm -hmm. the body. And then the third one is I actually am an active therapist. I like to be active, (laughs) sort of like the easy one, right? Have you, Um, back back when... Do you remember the world when we could actually be face-to-face with people? You know, it was a couple of years Hardly. ago. Or yeah. Barely. Yeah. When you, <laughs> back in that world, did you ever do like one-on-one therapy out like in the yes. wilderness or taking a run or 
Because I think that's such a cool idea or on totally. an obstacle course. You know. Yeah. So there were definitely a few times with various clients where we would go outside of the office that I was in. There was a pond. We would go outside. We would walk through the grass, sometimes mm-hmm. sit in the grass to try mm-hmm. and really sort of like connect with a new idea rather than a therapy chair or a couch, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There was one adolescent once that I worked with who loved basketball and I loved basketball. So we went out and played basketball together oh, and cool. kind of did like a little therapy on the uh, the good old court. Right. So I've been maybe unconventional in some of my ways of doing that. And I'm sure there are probably some mental health professionals that are listening that like shiver at that idea. Like the idea of doing that with a client just feels so uncomfortable and so not what we're supposed to do and where the boundaries are. But I think if you're real clear with your clients and kind of what you're working towards together, why does the office have to be where healing right. happens? Well, there's such a growing field in somatics, somatic movement, somatic therapy. Yes. And have you experienced, I have myself, so I'll just frame it this way. I've experienced where we get people moving, whether it's one of our kind of uh, unbeatable mind experiences where we take them to the beach and get wet and sandy or put them in an ice bath or, you know, and, and people are facing fears Mm-hmm. And it's that fear that triggers the unconscious discomfort and, and unproductive behavior patterns mm-hmm. that they're in therapy for. Right. And once they face that fear down and they suddenly realize, hey, this is fun. I can do this. Then all of a sudden there's this huge release that that which was holding them back has been identified, exposed, objectified, and then conquered mm. through the movement. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You had that experience too. And this is why I don't think you can divorce the body and the mind from emotional development. No, you obviously not the mind, but I mean, certainly the body. Yeah. Yeah, In my experience, this is really where as a psychologist in this field, I think it's so essential that I highlight the limitations of talk therapy. You know, there are, there have been so many instances where individuals have come into my office and they can't, and not only can they not access sort of their deep self-limiting beliefs or their own judgments, they can't even access the words to articulate that. And so for me to sit with them for 50 minutes and try to get them to say how they feel, they do not have a word for it. I mean, it's not that they don't know or they're trying to hide it or they're avoiding it. They, they don't have a word. And so oftentimes at that point, I refer out to some type of movement. Let's get yeah. you into yoga. Let's get, if you're a dancer, let's get you into some dance movement. Let's get you, you know, let's get you on the, tr- on the treadmill or out on the trails running, and then let's get you back in and see what happens. And it is profound and incredibly insightful for me to see when they when they do that and then they come back there's been an unlocking there has been sort of a release of that which has been pent up and now certain things are much more accessible to them um, both in memory but also in words and i think that that's i think we need to do more of that as a field i think we need to not only understand our limitations but understand how the integration of various modalities can be so helpful for the individual I couldn't agree more. It's interesting. I was just kind of laughing internally when you're talking about not having the words. I think most men, you know, thinking any male listening to this podcast is like, yeah, I don't, I don't have words for it. Like men have words like I'm pissed off. I'm horny. (laughs) Or (laughs) right. I'm hungry. Totally. How do you feel? Pissed off, horny, hungry, or jealous. Right. right? Those are about four big ones. There might be a couple more, but you know, we're pretty much narrow in those categories. And that's so limiting, right? 
It really yes. is limiting, right? Because there's this vast world. When I do have done emotional work and you know, the therapist hands me this list, says, okay, here's a chart of emotions. And there's like 500 words on there. I'm like, right. I don't know what that one means. You know what I mean? Help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and we're, we can get away with that. I mean, that's the other thing too, is like we give ourselves and others permission to not expand their emotional vocabulary. We ask our friends, hey, how are you today? And they say, fine. And somehow that's okay. Fine tells me literally nothing. Nothing. Like fine we say me. fine means fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and like yes, emotionally I've vacant. Or something. <laughs> I've heard that. Exactly. Or so, feelings internally not expressed. That's that one too. Right. So, you know, I think we, we give, we give ourselves permission. We give others permission to not expand their emotional vocabulary. And I think we need to do much more of, of asking the follow-up. I'm fine. Tell me what that looks like. Tell me what that means. You know, like, or I don't know what that means. Say more, you know, when we pick our kids up from school, how was your day? Good. Right. That's 99% of the time to answer. Tell me what mm -hmm. that means. Tell me what that looks like. Who did you help today? Who helped you? What were you proud mm. of today? Oh, what cool. scared right. you? You know, that kind of thing. So I think, we ha and this goes back to curiosity. We have to be asking better questions. Right. Another thing I wanted to get your two cents on is an experience that I've had with my EMDR uh, therapist. She's always saying, uh, okay, so where would you locate that feeling in your body? Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. like, nowhere. Like, I don't experience that in my body, but I do experience it outside of my body. Or mm, as a, or as a, as a sense of kind of beingness or, or like when you say how to, you know, I feel it out here in front of my heart, or I feel it up here kind of mm -hmm. around my head or, you know what I mean? Down here, it's not in my belly, but it's, I don't know what the hell that means. Right. Maybe because I've done so much physical training and somatic work, I've kind of like flushed out all the stuck feelings from my physical body. And I'm now feeling them in kind of my etheric body. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll propose, I'll propose. Or I've stuffed all those feelings. <laughs> no, I I'm proposing some real-time therapy here, Mark. Okay. Um, to me. This is why I want to do the podcast. I wanted to get some <laughs> therapy in. To me, it feels like actually it's that, that's a really healthy perspective because when I ask my clients, tell me where, where you feel that in your body. Part of what I'm trying to get at is how attached they are to that emotion, that mm -hmm. it has become an element of their existence of right, their body right. of their physical being. And so from my perspective, when I'm here and you say that I'm hearing really this healthy detachment from knowing that, that a, a feeling isn't you, a feeling right. is an experience that you right. step into that. It doesn't, you don't embody that feeling. You experience that Exper feeling. Right. Right. Yeah. It comes to you through you. It can, it can be experienced as a, it doesn't have to have a, and this is why the word feeling is probably not a good word going forward because people associate a feeling with like, oh, there's pain over here yes. or, or, uh, you know, and, and there's no question that I can feel sadness in my heart, right. Or, or the aching of loss in my heart. Mm -hmm. So I get that. But if someone says, you know, when you think back about that guy who screwed you 15 years ago, where, where do you find that, you know, where do you feel that in your body? I'm like, that, that one's not in my body. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. I de Well, and I think it's a testament to, I mean, A, it's a testament to the work you've done, but B, it's a, it's a testament when we're asking that of people, um, of how I think, how addicted people can be to certain 
feelings and sensations and really having a difficult time letting those go. I think, for example, we can be addicted to shame. I think we can be addicted to anger and the rush that we feel. People when identify we that. Rage. Like I'm, yep. I am shame. I'm supposed to feel shame because I'm a bad person. That's right. I'm That's supposed right. to be anger because my dad was angry. It's just who I am, right? That's exactly those right. Those are yep. stories that need to be unpacked because those, ne- those negative feelings and emotions can do nothing but hold you back, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When you work with Spartan athletes, you know, you clearly most of them come to you and say, you know, Lara, I want to, I want to win. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. I want to win. And so I need some mental toughness, right? What can you do for me? And, and, and so you say, oh yeah, I, I can get your mind in order. You know, I can get you a fit mind, but most of it is emotional, right? I mean, winning is an emotional thing mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Well, clearly you got to have goals and discipline and kind of that mental toughness to stick with it. But ultimately the difference between who wins and who doesn't is emotional. Right. And it's, it's a mental strength and a mindset, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that can carry you through the finish line. And oftentimes, you know, when I work with athletes, they think, they think strength and they imagine rigidity and I think strength and I imagine flexibility. So totally to me, agree. to yeah. be mentally strong is is to be mentally flexible. And I think, you know, so for me, a lot of the work with the athletes that I have on my caseload at any given time is really about breaking down some of the rigid beliefs they have about themselves, rigid belief about competition, attachments to winning and losing values. Why are they doing this in the first place? Why does this even matter to them? Mm-hmm. What about it matters to them? All of those things. And then also in there, there's quite a bit of identity work. You know, how much of this is really about your attachment to being seen, for example, as right. the Olympian versus right. actually wanting the process of what it means to unleash your greatness. Totally agree. And I think I've done a ton of podcasts with people who are like trying to do something crazy. And and I try to get to the bottom, like, why do you want, why do you want to climb Everest and, and seven peaks in one, you know, seven highest peaks in one year? Right. (laughs) Right. And I had a Navy SEAL friend who climbed, he literally got pulmonary edema and almost died. And I'm like, why did you want to climb Everest? And so we finally got into that. He had a very abusive childhood and he's always been trying to prove himself Mm. through his whole life. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like being a Navy SEAL and a best-selling author wasn't enough for him still. Right. And I, I had to look at that in my own life. I'm like, geez, am I playing out that a little bit? Nah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, wait, you know, maybe I don't need to go get that PhD after all. I've got enough accomplishments, right? I'm already, right. I've already played the overachiever card. Let me find another path, you know, that just is okay with who I am right now. Right. Well, but I think that's, that's where the curiosity piece comes in. That's where asking yourself yourself, the better question is helps to unload a better answer. You know, I I really try and move away from the why of things and the how or what of things, you know, instead of why am I doing this? How is doing this serving me? What Mm -hmm. about this matters to me? Why Mm -hmm. moves us into such a defensive position? And so when we can ask better questions and really dive into a much deeper exploration and discovery of whatever it is that we're thinking, feeling, doing, relating, behaving to at any given time, gosh, man, we just become much more flexible in our thinking and in our Mm -hmm. ability to tolerate different perspectives. And it really Mm -hmm. helps our mind. 
Yeah, I agree. You know, we're going to talk about resiliency at the Unbeatable Mind experience, but this idea of flexibility and resiliency are so closely related, right? Because, totally. you know, we used to say to seal fit athletes, you know, do you want, would you rather be the mighty oak or the reed when the tsunami comes? Right? Mm. I'd rather be the reed who can just roll and lay down and let the tsunami wash over. And then I pop back up and just keep on my day, you know? I love that. Whereas yep. the oak gets swept away. And most right. people, like you said, from a mental toughness standpoint, they try to be the oak. Yep. They have to be the the firmament that's hold everything up. And like they feel like Sisyphus. They're pushing the rock uphill every day. And then, boom, they slip and it rolls down and it pummels them. That's right. And eventually, they just say, screw it. Mm. Whereas resiliency, man, you got to be like the reed. You know, so you just got to expect that you're going to get pummeled. And you, you, you approach it with a smile. Like, come on, come at me. Exactly. <laughs> Fall down yeah. seven times, get up again, dust off, and go at it an eighth time. Now, how does this link to curiosity? It seems like flexibility and curiosity are have a strong tie. Let's let's get into that. Yeah. So I think, you know, there are three words that I love to sort of toy around. Well, maybe four actually. Watch me list five or seven or eight. But so it's a free world. Go for it. <laughs> curiosity really is a big one for me. It used to be um, a free world, by the way. Sorry. Just had to right, throw that in there. Um, so curiosity is huge. And in curiosity, I think is open-mindedness, right? And so I think I, I had an interesting podcast actually with someone who really highlighted this for me. And I hadn't really thought about it this way, and he helped me articulate it, but it was, it's almost like um, open-mindedness allows us to be curious. So I think those are two words that I think are really important. The other is discovery. I think mm -hmm. discovery is a really important word because, because when we're getting curious, you know, it's yes, just that act in and of itself actually like helps you move into the part of your brain that's better at learning and, you know, helps you perhaps take on the idea of a different perspective, but discovery then really becomes sort of about like, and then how do you use this curiosity, right? So how do you mm -hmm. use what you're getting curious about and then try and toy with it and learn? From my perspective, I mean, look, curiosity is, is rooted in our evolution. It's rooted in our biology. In order to adapt we had to become curious. Mm -hmm. Like, how could I make fire right now? You know, what do I need right now to ensure that the tribe survives? We had to get curious about that. And I think we are losing our desire, A, to be curious because we want to be right and we want to know and have expertise. Um, right. And so that is sort of being held up as like this trophy. And I right. think- and we, So that's really about risk, right? Like curiosity yes. kill, kills the cat. So let's not- go kill ourselves by getting overly curious. Let's stay in our lane and prove that exactly. we're an expert, right? Right, exactly, yeah. Which exactly. Which then gets us stuck and ends up killing us eventually. So it's counterintuitive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, from my perspective, like this really, my my own desire for more curiosity came from me witnessing in the therapy space with my clients how much more effective curiosity was than any other modality than any you know you're taught all these things and this goes back instead to of it. using some deeply yes. therapeutic term you just talk about curiosity and it that's exactly right that's, that's cool. exactly right in Very the cool. beginning of my work you know i would often with clients try and pull out all these psychological constructs and mm -hmm. like you know all all mm -hmm. this jargon but it was really when i just started saying I don't know why you feel that way. Let's get curious mm -hmm. about it. You know, mm -hmm. or I'm not sure why you have these feelings towards mom. Mm -hmm. What do you think? How yeah. can you get curious? You know, can we talk a little bit about 
how to like, is there an art to asking better questions? I, let me mm. frame this up a little bit. I'm always looking at like, what, what's next for me in terms of like my mental training, you know, my personal mental development and sure. an email from MIT came across and it was a certificate, certificate program, or even a master's degree. And it was all about inquiry, asking mm. questions for leaders. It was a leadership program. So it must've been like a certification. And I was really intrigued with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't push the buy button because I didn't have the time commit, you know, to commit to it yet, but I was curious about that. And so I wonder, because curiosity really is about asking better questions. And I've used the term before that the quality of our life is going to be based upon the quality of the questions we ask. So what's the, yeah. what's a good, in your opinion, kind of way of learning how to ask better questions of ourselves if we don't have a therapist like yeah. you kind of working with us? Yeah. So I'll go back to what I said earlier and say it again, because I can't quite say it enough. I'm right. learning. <laughs> why should be taken off the table, I believe. And I think it should be replaced with how or what. And I think part of this goes back to... Let's go into that a little bit more. Yeah. Because I this kind of like flies right in the face of something I've been telling people, like you got to know your why. <laughs> yes. And if you don't know your why, then you're going you're gonna to get confused when things get challenging. Yes. So help me understand so, why we take why away, because I might have to change my whole training program, go back to the start. <laughs> I <laughs> love that you, you said much. that. <laughs> um, well, so so here's part of why <laughs> I, now it's going to pop up everywhere in our That's conversation. Right. You can't use the term why anymore <laughs> in this podcast, so I'm going to call you out. You owe me um, 50 burpees every time. I know, exactly, that. exactly. So I, I believe that when we're kids, why is often used to highlight and observe something that we've done wrong. You know, if we spill the milk, if we didn't do the homework, if we, you know, um, made a mess with our snow boots in the walkway, why did you do that? Why, why, why? And so I think in some ways our brain is wired to identify why as connecting with something that we didn't do right. And, you know, you could think about it, like even think a mat, like if you were to close your eyes and do sort of a meditation on this or a mindful exercise and imagine you're in a classroom, right? And you've raised your hand and you've answered a question and the professor says, why did you answer it that way? Do you immediately think you got the question right? Or do you immediately think you got the question wrong? No, I totally screwed up, right? <laughs> Right, exactly. exactly. So, so I think I think it's like immediately our brain goes to, uh oh, there's something wrong here. So I think, and listen, I think we can rewire that. And I actually think this is right. where you don't have to rewrite your whole program because the way that you talk about why is really is your true north your purpose. Your true exactly. north, your purpose, right? But I, it made me think about the use of that word, though. Yeah. So I think, and I think when we're when we are getting curious with ourselves and with other people how and what allow you to go deeper, allow you to ask more questions. You know, so for example, one of the exercises that I do with my clients is we'll start at the real surface level, right? So they'll, they'll say some, if, for example, I'm working with somebody who has an eating disorder, cause I have a specialty in eating disorders and they say, well, I don't want to eat the cupcake. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I'll keep out, keep chipping away by asking questions. What is it about the cupcake that you don't like? I don't like mm -hmm. that it had frosting. Frosting has a lot of fat. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is it about fat that you don't like? It's gross and ugly. Mm -hmm. What is it about gross and ugly that you don't like? Nobody loves a gross and ugly person. What is mm -hmm. it about not being loved that you're worried about? If I'm not loved, I'll be forgotten. There it is. 
There right. it is. You're worried you're going to be. How forgotten. many? I've heard that seven questions is needed to get, Ooh. at least to get to the root of things. I love that. I've never heard that. Yeah, Maybe. I can't remember where I heard that. And I wrote it in the first version of Unveil Mind, you know, this questioning process to try to, you know, what you just went through is basically the seven, the seven layer questioning process. Right, right, right. I'm exactly. sure there's someone out there. And if we've stolen it from you, I really apologize because I never meant to do that. <laughs> Someone's got a we trademark. Give, we're giving you credit. We just don't uh, we're going to give you name. credit. We just don't know who you are. So. <laughs> that's fascinating. But we're not conditioned to ask questions of ourselves like that, right? It's, that's why it's so effective as a coaching process, right? Mm -hmm. Like what you just kind of modeled. But mm -hmm. how important it is, like I'm, I'm developing a journal for Unbeatable Mind, mm. and it's got a lot of questions every day to ask yourself. Yeah, yeah. Right. What yeah. went well? Why? What can I do better? You know, what would I, what did I learn from it? I mean, they're they're not, I'm not going seven layers deep, but um, maybe I will. Yeah, but I think that's essential because we you need some cues to help it do it. Right. And we it. get so caught up in, in, you know, what others identify as like the grind of life. You know, do we, mm -hmm. do we just wake up and we go? We don't wake right. up and be, we mm -hmm. wake up and do. Um, so I think uh, also, I just think the act of asking yourself a question or asking, uh, you know, somebody you're in a relationship with a question, like slow stuff down. Um, yeah, you, you pause a little bit rather than just continuing to operate. So many of our clients and, you know, we're unbeatable mind is not a psychology or therapy program, but it ends up being a big part of it. You know, yeah. again, you can't, we end up where we are because of the behaviors we take. We have the behaviors we you know, act upon and take because of some sort of emotional pattern that we developed often or, or thought slash emotional pattern. So it all ends up coming back to that. And what I'm finding is that a lot of our clients are really facing existential questions about who they are, mm. what they're doing on this planet, what their next thing is for their life, you know? And so they're in some sort of transition. They're always in transition. Even if mm -hmm. they're in a place that's really successful, they're like starting to think, is this relevant? How do I mm -hmm. be more relevant? So it always comes back to that point of, you know, knowing how to be before you just do the next thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, what I wanted to point out, which I think is really interesting to me, because you just opened my mind on this is we talk about finding your purpose, your why, but we, we talk about in the context of the three P's the other. Two, so one P is purpose. The other P is what are your principles? And the other P is what are you passionate about? So the, the purpose is why mm -hmm. the principles are like the what mm -hmm. and the passion is, you know, the how, right? The how? So it's right. Exactly. It's like you, or it could be, you, you could say the how is kind of how you want to live. And those are your principles. And the what is like, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. Those are your, that's your passion. And the mm -hmm. purpose is why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So I guess where I'm going with this is a lot of our clients are clueless about the why. Mm -hmm. They, you know, I just get this blank stare. So we have some practices to help them, you know, future me, visualization, you know, writing your obituary. Some of them are, are pretty common. Some of them are really unique to us. But what I found most useful is to have them answer the other two questions first. Sure. Mm -hmm. The what and the how, like, mm -hmm. what do you believe in? And how do you like to operate in this world? And then that starts to really point toward some sort of overarching, like archetypal purpose. 
Yeah. They can yeah. lock, they can lock around. They're like, oh yeah, that's it. You know, my, my purpose is to be, you know, the best father I could be. It could be that simple. Right. 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 Well, I think you, or I think it you could be out to change the world, you know, from, and so we can heal the environment, change, you know, heal the oceans or, you know, it could be something really earth shattering like that. Yeah. I think too, the other thing that I think about when I consider purpose is strengths, which is a mm-hmm. word that I always have a hard time saying because it's a mouthful. But, you know, the strengths that exist within you that truly are extraordinary and unique to you, um, from my perspective, really help like unleash that purpose, unleash that contribution. And I, I think sometimes we forget that piece. We forget right. that strength that exists within us. Um, yeah, instead and that of could, like really, really covering down on that unique thing that you just do better than anyone else. That's right. Pe- people are taught that they've got to get good at all this other stuff. Yes. And often they, oftentimes they ignore their biggest strength. Exactly. And there's actually been a research, more research to date in organizational psychology and in like leadership training that companies that once, you know, once there was sort of this idea that like, okay, we identify the employee's strength and weakness, and then we try and balance it out, right? Like we Mm -hmm. identify what they're not very good at and their limitations, and we really try and raise them up. Mm -hmm. But now companies are realizing that like that, the energy expenditure in that the return on investment is actually not very good. It's a lot better to to dial in on the strengths and mm-hmm. make those even stronger um, mm-hmm. through things like curiosity, shifting mm-hmm. perspective, flexibility, distress tolerance, you know, all of those things that like highlight the strength and just let the limitation be. It's okay for us to have things that we're not very good at. Like that's totally fine. We don't mm-hmm. always have to, we don't always have to evolve and work ourselves into such a better position where our limitations are now no longer. Like to be human is to have a limitation. That's okay. Right. Speaking of limitations, what are the biggest obstacles you see to someone really becoming very curious? Uh, you know, there's mm. a there's a path to growth, you know, becoming curious about what's working in their life, what's not working, to ask better questions you know, to get out of the box and open up their mind? What are the biggest obstacles? Yeah. So two big things I see. One is that they they really actually don't even know what that looks like because they don't have a role model or a peer in their life that does it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up with two parents who were in the, the arts. Um, and so we grew up with movies and movie, movies was literally like in my DNA. When I say we grew up with movies, like every night poster board on the wall of what we were going to see kind of movies, 35 millimeters. Um, yeah. And so the, the curiosity of story was always there. Right. And afterwards, what did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? I was brought up in a world where we ask questions. So for Mm. me, it's very natural to step into this, but there are definitely individuals (coughs) in their own life. And I remember even you talking about this on your podcast or on my podcast, when you were on it, you know, that like there was a set path for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for many people, I think there is a set path. I don't think they have individuals in their life who are curious. And I think podcasts like this have really been successful because people crave it and they don't necessarily know how to get curious. So one of the barriers is that they don't have a role model or peer, but guess what? Now they can listen on podcasts. They can start Mm -hmm. to listen to interesting ideas and people Mm -hmm. and start to get curious themselves. So that's one barrier I see, but there's a pretty easy workaround for that. Mm -hmm. The, The other barrier that I see is fear. 
You know, Mm. what if I get curious and I uncover something I don't like? What if I get curious about whether or not I really actually enjoy my career and realize I've spent the last 40 years as a doctor and I hate being a doctor? Mm -hmm. You know, I think people are afraid of what they might uncover and what they might find. What if as a parent, I get curious about, you know, whether or not I wanted to be a parent in the first place. And I think Hmm. to myself, gosh, I don't know if I really did. And oh my gosh, I have two kids, you know? So like that's, yeah. (laughs) So I think that there's, there's fear in, in stepping into curiosity because curiosity is in so many ways defined by that, which we don't know. And that, which is uncertain. And so that can be scary for people. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, so facing fear mm-hmm. and and uncovering, you know, that that which is you know, that that thing that's gonna be scary is what's holding you back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the the fear is basically of what you will become if you were to face that and overcome mm-hmm. it, right? Because mm-hmm. there's the unknown. So ultimately, we're talking about uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So curiosity confronts uncertainty head on mm-hmm. in a playful way. I love that. Right? As mm-hmm. opposed to like overcoming your fears, right? Go right. forth on your hero's journey. You're like, wait, <laughs> that sounds painful. <laughs> as opposed to your approach is like, let's get curious, right? And then yeah. as you ask better questions, you're going to have to confront things that are uncomfortable and then, like we say, you'll get comfortable with that discomfort as you inch your way forward and you'll discover that that which you feared was really nothing. It was a phantom, right? Right. Was, or a right. shadow, right? And I love that term shadow from the yep. emotional. Right. Shadow can't hurt you. Right. 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 It's exactly. ephemeral, right? It's not, it's not real. It's not real. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. So I, I, you know, and I think when when I sit with individuals who who are I hate to use the word resistant because to me resistance and somebody else said this, I can't claim it for myself, but resistance really is fear of vulnerability. So when, when a, when a client shows up and they are resistant to, to getting curious, um, I think, I think there's even a there, there, I think it's, you know, what is it about looking at this a different way about asking yourself, you know, more thoughtful questions that feels really scary to you right now. Can we even get curious about that? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, like for anybody that's listening right now, I would encourage you, for example, if you have a friend that you name as a friend, but that you haven't reached out to recently, how come? Right. Right. Like, how can you get curious about that? And not with your judgmental ego and your critical ego, but with your curious one, that's that's gentle and introspective and interested in inquiry, but not going to criticize you for your response. I love that. I was thinking about some of the most evolved people that I've been around or had, you know, as trainers, like Mr. Nakamura, my first mentor. Mm-hmm. They're very playful. Mm-hmm. And they're right. deadly, deadly serious when they need to be. But, yeah. you know, that's not their go-to. Their go-to is like play, a lightness and a playfulness. Yep. And that sounds a lot to me like curiosity, spontaneity. And so you can almost say that 
evolution or growth, in my opinion, will lead toward that naturally, but you can, you can stimulate it mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. asking better questions and through, you know, through a deliberative process of facing those fears and, and getting curious about them. I think so. And I love that you use that word playful because I do think, you know, for example, clients might tell me something that happened and I'm like, how's that working for you? Like that doesn't, doesn't sound, (laughs) and I'll kind of laugh and they'll end up laughing with me, but then I'll be like, no, but really, how is that working for you? (laughs) Because here we are again. Um, So I do think playful is a, is a part of it that, that just naturally again, takes us away from that hypercritical ego, which can really be hurtful. Yeah. Yeah, Vicious. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. There's so much uh, great stuff that we've talked about. And, you know, I think that's like the Holy grail of development, right. Is to let go of Mm -hmm. these things that just, that we just grasp onto. And then we get hardened and rigid and closed and wrapped around the axle you know, around whether, whatever it is, a belief about ourselves or yeah, a belief about our, who our family is or who our yep. tribe or our country is uh, or how we're supposed to be as a leader, you know, always right. Yes. That's righteousness or, you know, someone's super judgmental, right? That's judgmentalism. All these things, these isms just like close down. They're all ego. The mm-hmm. more you can let go and surrender and and do it in that, like you said, that kind of gracious way where you're not hardening yourself because the ego will try to take it back. It even will. If you, even if you try to be like all spiritual and forgiving, the ego will quickly co-opt that. Yep. Right. And, and judge others as less than yourself, right? That's Absolutely. like a spiritual bypass. And that I see that rampant, but letting go of all the need to be anything, but just who you are right mm-hmm. at your core essential source self. Yes. Yeah, I think it's curiosity is a great way to let go because, you know, you can ask those questions and be like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe I can think of this differently and let go of that old thing for a while and see how it works. Like you said, ask the question, how's that working for you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, and one of the things that I will often say to my clients is, listen, it doesn't have to be any which way. Let's just be curious. You know, like I'm not I'm not using this as a conduit to convince you otherwise. Mm-hmm. I'm using this as an opportunity for us to explore. That's it. That. That's all it is. Well, I'm curious, Lara, how many burpees you owe me? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I think it's a few hundred because you use that term why. Probably. Lot. Probably. So you better get busy. I'll gotta get I'll get on that, Mark. You I'll get, get on, on that. Uh-huh. Thanks so much for joining me today, man. This has been a great conversation, really valuable. So you're you're gonna be speaking at our Unbeal Mind Summit or experience. That's what, March 14th to 17th, I think, right? Yeah, one of those days. What, you don't, we don't have a schedule yet for which day <laughs> or you yet, so, but just sometime during that. So if you're listening and you want to hear more from Dr. Laura and also others like Jason Redman and my Navy SEAL mentor, Mark Crampton, and myself and others from my team, then check that out at unvealmind.com. But Laura, your stuff, um, where is your, like, where are you on the you know, in the, the internet, inter- ethos. internet sphere, right? Yeah. So you can head to my website, drlarapence.com. And my name is L-A-R-A. Everybody does you. It's yeah. not, there's just no you. I no you. And there. There's no you and Laura. Laura. No, no. Um, it's all I. So, and then Instagram <laughs> at Dr. Laura Pence, you can find me there as well. And then my podcast, Curious Minds with Dr. L is 
you know, the usual places where you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, awesome. Spotify, all those places. You know, you told me about this cool little product you're developed. Uh, that's like a, a set of yes. like question cards that help you ask better questions. So that's a great place for people to start. We're, we're, what's that called? Yeah, it is. So it's called Lifebox, L-I-G-H-F-B-O-X. The idea being that when you shine a light on your life, um, you know, it gets brighter and everything is in this beautiful white box. So there's 180 oh, cool. cards with questions and prompts that work to exercise your mind and spark curiosity and really boost your mental fitness through flexibility. So it's basically a compilation of like all the questions that I have asked my clients through the years that I've done this work and some of the questions that I have found to be most effective in getting my clients to be more curious. Um, so they can go to lifebox.com and we're also on Instagram and get yourself a box. It's, it's that a pretty cool. That sounds like yeah. something to be fun ish maybe to do with a partner. <laughs> <laughs> Ask them the question. Yes, actually, it's been really, we've gotten some amazing reviews um, from individuals that have got our products. And one of my favorite is that this one couple um, says that they now substitute a Lifebox card every night for the glass of wine that they used to have. And they no longer have wine. And now they have a Lifebox card, which I was like, oh my gosh, if I'm a substitute for wine, I have clearly made my mark. Can I do wine and Lifebox I knew you were going to ask that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yes you okay. can mark thank you good appreciate it dr lara said i could all right thanks so much for being here lara i look forward to seeing you again soon thank you I mark appreciate all you're doing and the work that you're doing in the world is important i appreciate you oh yeah all right folks check out dr lara at all the normal places and they'll be in the show notes of this podcast And uh, check out the Life Box. That sounds like a really cool product. I'm going to go get one, and I am going to use it over a glass of wine with my wife. So I'll report (laughs) back and write you a review. (laughs) Make sure people know that that's that's totally okay. Thanks for your support of the Unveiled Mind podcast, folks. Stay focused and be curious. Hoo-yah. Divine out.